Good morning, Maple Grove. All right. You're live. That's good. Good stuff. There's coffee back there. I don't want you to know yawning out there. Get you some coffee. Get some caffeine. All right. Um, Hey, I want to start off this morning by reading some, uh, excuse me, one of David's most well-known and loved Psalms, Psalm 23, uh, written 3,000 years ago. Crazy, right? I mean, God's word, this book is absolutely timeless. As Peter wrote in his first letter, 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25, he, he writes, all people are like grass and all their glory. Someone say, in all their glory. And they're pretty proud of their glory, aren't they? And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Amen. Okay, what we're going to do right now is we're going to take turns reading some scripture, uh, starting out with Psalm 23, and you'll see your, your body, I'm Steve, okay? So, so you guys start off. One, two, three, go. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The hired man is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. We need you. And Father, I pray that your word would penetrate into our hearts and minds this morning. Enable me to speak in a way that brings you honor and you glory and motivates us, your people, not just to conviction, but to action. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's do this. Uh, for the last few weeks in our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Matthew, we've been, we've been doing a deep dive into Matthew chapter 10, Jesus' mission discourse. Uh, understand, in this chapter, after being with Jesus for a year, after hearing him speak of and on the kingdom, After seeing him heal the sick, cleanse the leper, cast out demons, and raise people from the dead, and calm violent storms. After all of this, Jesus calls the 12 disciples and tells them, you're no no longer just disciples. I'm going to make you my apostles, my ambassadors, my official representatives. 
I sent out ones. Yes, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is telling the 12 that it's time for you to go. It's time for you to go out for me and do your mission thing. However, before he sends them out, he gives them some instructions. Listen, though these instructions in Matthew chapter 10 are for these specific guys for this specific period of time. Nevertheless, there are principles that apply to you and I as we take the gospel out into the world that needs it so desperately. And it's what we've been doing for the last several weeks. Look at some of Jesus' timeless, it's time to go principles. And here's the principles that we've uncovered. And listen, in a very real way, uh, these principles are commands and instructions from Jesus to us about the mission that he intends would actually consume us. Okay? And, and this is just review. It's in your notes. Important stuff. Um, it's time to go to principle number one. Going is an answer to the prayer of Jesus who asks us to pray for harvesters. Number two, going is our call too. We're not just to sit around and get to know Jesus, but we're to make Jesus known. Going with others is essential. Jesus sent them out two by two. Uh, going out does not require that you be a superstar, just that you would be average and ordinary. And I see a bunch of average and ordinary people out here this morning, so you qualify. Number five, we've been sent out with instructions per angeleo. Uh, and that word instruction, it, it, it's a word of a military command. It, it's a word uh, of uh, a judicial assignment. It, it's a word of medical prescription. So it's an order from our commander, it's a judicial decree, and it's instructions from our physician about how we can be well. A very intentional word that, that he uses there. Jesus is our commander, he is our judge, and he is our great physician. All right? Then, number, number six is, we've been sent out to the lost, beginning where we already are, with our family, with our friends with our neighbors, with our classmates, and with our coworkers. Uh, last week, if you missed it, I want to encourage you to check it out online, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, our website, tune in. But we talked about how your work, what you do, matters. Therefore, you should live extreme in your work every week. And there was a principle that we looked at. The, the principle for living extreme in your work is God's your ultimate boss, okay? You know, it, it's not your employer. It's not who signs your paycheck. You know, whatever we do, we're to work at it as if working for the Lord. Uh, the power is, is being connected to God. If you're going to live extreme in your work, you cannot do that on your own. You need to be connected to God. The practice is to just do it. And, and we saw these four principles lived out by Daniel from the Old Testament, who was our case study, all right, at work. Do your best, be positive, show respect, even if they're idiots, <laughs> and have a servant's heart. And the purpose, why you live extreme in your work, is to bring God glory. Here's what God looks like. Here's what his people look like, and to point people to him. So how did you do this past week? Did you keep reminding yourself that, hey, my, my boss is God? Uh, did you stay connected to God so you could make it happen every day? Connected to God so it could happen. And did you, this week at work, did you do your best? 
Were you positive despite all the crazy negativity maybe flying around you? Were you the positive one? Were you the thermostat for positivity at work this week? Did you show respect? And did you have a servant's heart? And how do you know if you have a servant's heart? Like I said last week, we know we have a servant's heart when we do not mind being treated like a servant, right? You know, and that's how you know. You may think you're a servant, then someone treats you. I don't have to be, well, then you don't have a servant's heart because a servant's heart means I don't mind being treated like a servant, okay? We've been sent out, seek the lost beginning where we already are. Work, family, friends, neighborhood. Now, Now raise your hand. If where you already are, work, neighborhood, family, friends, etc., are people who do not know Jesus. Okay. Question, are you praying for one? Are you praying for that opportunity? Several weeks ago, I asked you all to set your phones. Mine goes off all the time. And I forget what it's for. Why is my phone going off? Oh, you know, but I, I've been praying for my one who I hadn't seen in three months. I, uh, friends have been praying with me. I got to see my, my one, Paul, three times this week. And the uh, first time when I saw him, you know, our dogs met and, hey, there he is. But then my one little dog wasn't on the leash, decided to run around the house. And so I had to leave. I got, gosh, I didn't even get the chance to talk to you. But the good news is I, I saw him again and found out where he works. Hey, let me go see where you work and how, how you put those things together. He says, great. But then I forgot where it was. And then the next day I had my headphones on, walking my dogs, and I didn't even know he was around until my dog pulled on me to greet his dog. Oh, there's Paul. And uh, the good news is that I, I'm at the opportunity to go where he works and have lunch with him this Wednesday, right? And so, and that's prayer, right? I hadn't seen him in three months. So pray for your one. And, and, and here's this prayer we have. If you have your one, you know, a person God's put in your life, uh, um, but that doesn't mean since Paul's my one, if I meet someone else this week, I go, oh, I know you need Jesus, but I'm sorry, you're not my one. No, it doesn't mean that at all. Every day I should look for opportunities to show God's love. Uh, but here's this prayer uh, that I encourage you guys to pray. And just pray it with me. If you know you're one, just say it out loud, okay, On, after three. One, two, three. Lord, I pray that you give me the wisdom, the opportunity, the courage, and the urgency to know when and what to say so that Paul will come to know your love and surrender to you as our Lord and Savior. In your name, amen. Awesome. Awesome. Pray that prayer. Pray for one. Um, number seven principles were to go declaring and displaying the kingdom. Declare it and live it out. Show people, hey, here's what it looks like to be a husband, to be a father. Here's what a, here's what a marriage is supposed to look like. Here's how people are supposed to respond to hurt, to criticism, to pain, to suffering. Um, number eight, we are to trust in God's provision. Uh, number nine, we can expect to experience both acceptance and rejection. And when people are rejected, Jesus says that we're to wipe the dust off their, our feet. If, until I studied this in detail recently, that was kind of like, you know what? Forget you. Forget you. You don't want this, then you don't got it. Yeah, that, that was kind of my attitude. Yeah. But, but that's not what Jesus means. What he's talking about is that when people won't receive it, okay, we wipe the dust off. We don't badger them. You know, we don't nag them about it, and we dust off that rejection. We don't carry that rejection with us. You see, our commander says, hey, you know what? You need to obey this. 
Um, the judge says, leave them in my hands. And the physician says, hey, I want you to be well. I, I don't want the rejection of you trying to share to discourage you to steal your joy so that you're not able to witness to others, okay? And number 10, we always need to keep in mind the high cost of people who reject the message. It'll be worse for them in the day of judgment than it is for Sodom and Gomorrah. And those are the principles. You can look online and study them in depth. But listen, for people to leave this earth without surrendering to Jesus is beyond tragic. And if we even allow ourselves to think about it for a mere moment, it is terrifying. I've been watching this documentary on Amazon, World War II, The Call of Duty, a complete timeline. It's really good. Really, I, I, I love that. I've learned, it's like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I don't know a whole lot, I guess. Um, but, but in one of the episodes, it just showed someone randomly, you know, working a, a switchboard, you know, kind of like this. And, and when I saw that picture, this wasn't the actual picture. I, I went finding one, right? And, and it reminded me, you know, my great aunt Frida on my mother's side, um, there was, I, I remember this picture of seeing my aunt Frida working one of these and turning around and smiling. And it made me think of my aunt Frida. But yesterday... And when I looked at that photo, and I thought about her. And thought about how she never came to know Jesus. I thought about what she's experiencing. I really wept at my desk. Just to think about her. And I love her. But she never surrendered to Jesus. Do you know someone? It, it, it matters, right? I mean, Jesus did not die on the cross because he had nothing to better do on a Friday. He died on the cross because God loves us and didn't want heaven without us. So he sent his son to die for us, you know? And, and so we don't like to think about it. I don't like to think about that. It makes me feel sick to the stomach and I can't do anything about it now. But there are others, Right? And this is not meant to discourage us. It's reality. It's meant to encourage us, right? To, hey, you know, who can we share Christ with so that they can have a future in heaven? And, and they're, they're, they're their principles right there, okay? And, and uh, you know, we read this today in, our, in James. And, and I'm okay with reviewing this, okay? Um, but check this out. We read today. In our Bible reading. We're reading James right now, a short study of 12 weeks. Uh, for the end of this month, we're going to do a 90-day study to get everybody together reading the Bible. But here's what James said this. Because, I mean, it's good we heard these things, right? It's good I stood up here and taught them, wrote in my notes. It's good I kind of know what they are, right? I can answer a pop quiz about them, right? Um, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Whatever, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gets freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. 
I think too many times I read the Bible, I mean teach the Bible, and you sit out there and hear the Bible yourself, and we just audit it. We audit it. All right, good stuff. Like it. You know, we're not called to audit God's word. We're not called to audit these principles. We're not called to audit the principle of reaching out to those who are lost. Amen? Does that make sense? And if you're uncomfortable a little bit, I share with my life group today. I make myself uncomfortable in this study all week long, and I do not want to keep that uncomfortableness to myself. <laughs> I felt like pond scum, and I'd like to share that pond scum feeling with you all because I love you so very much. <laughs> but I tell you, if we stop auditing, our mission, there'll be people standing up there almost every week. And you'll be there and you'll say, hey, this is, I'm making up names, okay? <laughs> this is Sally. This is Joshua. He's my one. You've been praying for him and I've been praying for him and he's here today because he wants to give his life to Jesus. Would that be cool? Would that be great? Would that be, would that be like an awesome thing to see? And that's what God wants to see happen. Now, this morning, we're going to unpack Matthew 10, 6 through 23, in a conversation I'm calling, like, sheep among wolves. And here's the deal. In these verses, Jesus is telling his guys, hey, here's what you can expect when you go out for me with this message. You see, he wants to prepare them for the opposition they will encounter. And listen, in these verses, Jesus, he's... He's not talking about what these guys will face in their initial ministry. Remember, they just went to the Jews only in Galilee. But rather, he's talking about the opposition that they'll experience after the cross, after the tomb, after the resurrection, after his ascension, and after the church is born. How do I know that? Because none of what happens happened until then, right? None of it did. And now let's try to imagine what his guys are thinking, right? When they hear these words for the first time that I'm about to read, they're thinking, this is awesome. We're no longer just disciples. I mean, the 12 of us among the multitude, we are now his apostles, his representatives, his ambassadors. And not only that, but Jesus is sending us 12 out to do the very things that he was doing. And we're going to get to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, cast out demons, rise people up from the dead. Yes, some will accept our message, some won't. But those that do will find peace with God. Yeah, Jesus, let's do this. Look out, world, here we come. And then Jesus says, hey, before you go, I got one more thing. He says, behold. The word means look, pay attention. This is important. You don't want to miss that. Now, Matthew loves this word, okay? It's the Greek word, adu. Much ado about nothing, right? Well, he has much ado about something, right? <laughs> I was free. No one bought it. Never mind. Okay, so, so, so Matthew really loves this word. Now, I hate that some versions, like the NIV, they leave it out. It's an important word. Matthew uses it a lot. Like in Matthew 1, when he says, Behold, a virgin will give birth to a son. He'll be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew three seventeen, Behold, a voice spoke from heaven. This is my son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Matthew 8, 24, behold, there arose a great storm, 
Matthew 9, verse 18. Behold, a ruler came and knelt down before Jesus and said, My daughter has just died, but if you lay your hands on her, he'll live. Jesus says in Matthew 10, Behold, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Yeah, our good shepherd is sending out his sheep among the wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you will say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be giving what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. This gets intense. Brother will betray brother to death. And a father's child. Children rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by everyone because of me. Literally because of my name. And it irritates me that versions don't say that. Okay, Because his name means they'll be hated because of my person, my purpose, and my plan, my character, who I am, and what I'm about, okay? But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you're pursuing one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, do not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now what do you think these guys are thinking? <laughs> As I hear these words. What? <laughs> You're sending us out like sheep among wolves, good shepherd? And listen, in, in these verses in, in Matthew 10, Jesus is going to tell them, hey, here's what you can expect, and here's how I want you to respond. And, and listen, church, Jesus is telling you and I the very same things. Steve, when you go out for me, declaring and displaying my kingdom, you can expect to experience opposition. People may hate you. They may persecute you, beat you, arrest you, betray you. And Steve, when you experience that, here's how you are to respond. Okay, let's do this. Let's, let's dive into our, our text. And let me say up front, as you probably already know, it's going to take us a little bit of time to get through the rest of Matthew 10. But listen, this text... And this conversation of Jesus, it warrants, it demands that kind of attention. Because if we do not live out our mission of declaring and displaying the kingdom to the lost, beginning where we are, if we do not live out the mission of declaring and displaying the kingdom to the lost, beginning where we are, then we're nothing more than the Sunday morning Christ club. With me as your leader, who gather whenever it's convenient to come and audit the living and active Word of God. I don't know about you, I audit too much, and that needs to change. And to lead others in the great plan of auditing, and that needs to change. Amen? Y'all feeling good? 
Let's take two. <laughs> Let's take two. Let y'all breathe. Massage each other's shoulders. I'm watching the doors. <laughs> if you leave, Lord, if anyone leaves, I pray that you will bless them. <laughs> take two and welcome those around you. <laughs> Okay, you guys ready for round two? All right, let's go. We got this. Good stuff. Let's do this. Uh, let's begin by looking at the first half of Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. I got a little picture here I think is going to pop up on the screen in just a second. Yeah, okay. Okay. I'm sending you out like, that's not very comforting, right? I mean, that does not seem like a great recruiting approach for missionaries, right? I mean, like, who would volunteer to be a sheep in the midst of wolves? Behold, I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves. Question, why does Jesus say this? Because it's true. Because Jesus is honest, he, he's truthful, he tells it like it really is. Now, one of the guys I read this week wrote the following back in 1981 about these very words of Jesus. You know, the honesty of Jesus is so refreshing to me. I don't think Jesus would be at home in contemporary Christianity, 1981, because there's not enough honesty in it. You know, we're so concerned about getting people saved that we pretty well water down the gospel. We don't talk about repentance we don't talk about confession of sin. We don't talk about humbling ourselves and hungering and thirst for righteousness. We don't talk about the lordship of Christ. We don't talk about obedience in a narrow way and the cost and the price. And then when someone becomes a believer, we don't talk about going out as a sheep among wolves. We don't talk like that. We don't recruit people, recruit people for evangelism and say, look, there's some ferocious wild wolves out there. Are there any volunteers who would like to go out to them? It isn't the world's way to win adherence. The world talks about ease and comfort and riches and advancement and ambition. Jesus offers hardship and death. Such honesty. End quote. Now, I understand when Jesus calls people into his mission, he tells them, you're going to go out there and you're going to get ripped to pieces. It's not going to be easy. You're going to get hurt. Uh, they don't agree with you. They don't believe your message. They don't want to hear your message. That talk kind of reminds me of, of what Garibaldi said to his soldiers in 1849 after the siege of Rome. Men, all their efforts against the superior forces have been unavailing. I have nothing to offer you but hunger and thirst, hardship and death. By the call on all who love their country to join me. And hundreds came. After Dunkirk, Churchill said this, All I can offer you is blood and sweat and tears. And the British people stood. I've been watching actual clips of They stood for months as they're being bombed every day, night and day. Jesus says, behold, I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves. 
See, Jesus never sends anybody out without telling him the truth. Like, like I read someone this week who said this. When did we get the idea that Jesus is calling us to go to safe places and to do easy things? We didn't get it from Scripture, did we? And here's the deal. Here, I think here's, here's what Jesus is saying in those seven words. I'm sending you out like sheep. What he's saying is, hey, guys, don't forget. Despite the power that I'm giving you to heal, cleanse, cast out, and raise people from the dead, don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think you're all that in a bag of chips. Don't forget who you are. You are still sheep. And sheep will always need a shepherd. Because sheep without a shepherd have some serious disadvantages. Number one, sheep are clueless, also known as dumb. Here's an actual news story. I'm not making it up. Hundreds of sheep followed their leader off a cliff in eastern Turkey, plunging to their deaths this week while shepherds looked in dismay. Oh, and in dismay. 400 sheep fell 50 feet to their deaths in the ravine. But they broke the fall of another 1,100 animals survived. <laughs> Steps from a nearby village neglected to the flock eating breakfast, leaving the sheep to roam free. The loss of local farmers was estimated at $74,000. Okay, so one sheep walks off a cliff and 1,499 others just follow. Can you picture it? 1,500 sheep walking off a cliff. Soon they piled up so deep that the ones in the bottom suffocated and the ones on top were like lying on a fluffy pillow, right? I know it's completely absurd, but it tells you one important thing about sheep. And the first reason they need a shepherd, they're clueless. They're dumb. Sheep are also directionless. They're prone to wander. I mean, you can put them in green pastures and still waters, but the shepherd does not watch them constantly. They will wander off and get lost. Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Uh, sheep are clueless, they're directionless, they are also defenseless. Now think about the different ways that an, that an animal reacts when they perceive some kind of danger. Three common ones are fight, flight, and posture. Uh, let's talk about fight. So suppose a sheep is frightened, he sees a, he's a, a wolf running towards him, what is he going to do? Doesn't have claws, no fangs, no venom, no quills. He's got nothing to protect himself. So fighting is out, right? How about flight? How about just turning away and running? That's a good defense mechanism, except sheep are not very fast, not very agile, especially if the wool is long or is wet. A sheep is not going to outrun a wolf. So sheep that cannot fight, they cannot take flight, so far, it's looking pretty good for the, for the wolf. How about posture, right? Like if a dog feels threatened, a dog will, will growl and bark and show its teeth, right? A lion will roar. A, a rattlesnake will, will shake its tail. A cat will arch its back and hiss. And a lamb, when it's threatened and once intimidated, someone who's attacking him, it goes, 
แบแบ Listen, there's a reason that no one hires a guard sheep, right, to keep the property safe. We are sheep, and sheep are clueless, directionless, and defenseless. Jesus is not trying to insult us. He's just given a very realistic assessment of who we are and what we need. We are sheep, and he wants his guys to know, yeah, you're going after me, but you're still completely dependent on me. Don't ever forget that, guys. Especially when I'm sending you out among wolves. Behold, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. I like that picture, obviously. I found this new story online this week from September 2009. Last week, three adult wolves killed 120 sheep in a single incident near Dillon, Montana. A rancher named John Conan recalled, he went up there the next day and tried to count them, but there were too many to count. I had tears in my eyes, not only for myself, but for what my flock had to go through. They're running, getting chewed on, bit, and piled into the corner. They're bit on the neck, on the back, on the back of the hind legs. They're crippled. They crippled them and then ripped their sides wide open. I understand. Jesus, guys, when they heard this, like that rancher, they knew exactly what It meant to be a sheep in the midst of wolves. It was dangerous. It was deadly. It was terrifying. That's why they need to have a shepherd. Get it? Good. Uh, Question, who who are the wolves that Jesus is warning us about? The wolves are people. Matthew 10, 17 says, be on your guard against men. 10.22, all men will hate you because of my name, my plan, my purposes, my person. Again, the wolves we must be in regard against are people. And yes, I know as Paul says in Ephesians 6, uh, uh, that our our struggle is against principalities and power, spiritual forces in heavenly realms, against Satan and his demons. Uh, But listen, listen. Satan promotes and expands his kingdom the same way Jesus does, through people. People who have made him both, made him and evil, both their Lord and God. And so throughout the centuries, it's people who have beaten, arrested, crucified, burned at the stake, beheaded, and stoned Jesus' followers as they live godly lives and preach the gospel of the kingdom. Paul said in Timothy, his last letter he wrote before he was executed, you ever know of all my teachings, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, and endurance, persecution, sufferings? You know what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecution I endured? Yet the Lord rescued me from them all. And in fact... Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. By who? By people. In our text, Jesus mentions three different groups of people, wolves, if you will, that have and will always persecute and come against Jesus' followers. Uh, Number one wolf we have is the religious. Uh, Those who believe differently than we do. 
He says, be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to local councils and flog you in the synagogues. The flogging church. Imagine if I had someone tied up today. Hey, guys, before we go into worship, hey, I got a guy here I need to beat. (laughs) That's what's happening. Understand, brothers and sisters, there are people who not only disagree with what you believe as a Jesus follower, but who find those beliefs so unacceptable that they must stop them at all costs. And we see this hostility in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested. In Acts chapter 5, all the apostles are arrested. They're threatened, and then they're flogged. That that means beaten 39 times, right? Uh, With a lash that maybe has broken pieces of pottery in it, right? And Acts 5, 41 says, after being beaten, (laughs) the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Because we got it worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen preaches a sermon that so angers the religious leaders that they drag him outside of the city and they stone him to death. Paul tells in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that he had been flogged on five different occasions for preaching Jesus. Again, there are people who not only disagree with what we believe as Jesus followers, religious people, but who find those beliefs so unacceptable that they must be stopped at all costs. And listen, religious people are not just those who meet in buildings, but sometimes people have such a, they're so committed to a set of beliefs and philosophy that it has become their religion. They're religious. Uh, this year in India, maybe you've heard about it, at a place called Manpar. It, it broke out in May. So far, 120 plus Christians. Have, this is because they're Christians. You know, Hindu radicals are persecuting these Christians. 120 Christians have been killed. 4,500 4, buildings and other structures belonging to Christians have been destroyed. 400 churches have been burned down. This is church being burned down. This is people celebrating. And this is 50,000 people have been displaced. They don't have a home. They don't have a job. Don't know how they're going to eat. All because they love Jesus. And we know that in many other places, Christians are persecuted because of their religion. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Here's the deal. If we live a godly life, if we stand on what the Bible teaches about marriage, about life in the womb, about sexuality, about Jesus being the only way, and that every other religion is wrong, that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus, there will be some religious people, not all, who will find our beliefs so unacceptable that they'll do whatever they can to stop us and silence those beliefs. Are you tracking with me? Okay. Behold, I send you out like sheep among the wolves. Another wolf Jesus talks about is the government. Like, Jesus seems to be smart, doesn't he? On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings. And why are they brought? Because of Jesus, on account of Jesus, account of his message, account of their beliefs. 
Again, we see this in the book of Acts, like with Paul. Paul's brought before governors and kings and the emperor himself. In fact, everyone but the 12 except Judas, who killed himself, suffered under governing authorities. James was killed by the sword by, John's brother, was killed by the sword by King Herod. Andrew was hung by the neck on an olive tree. Thomas was thrown, uh, was was stabbed with spears, tortured with red hot plates, and burned alive. Philip was tortured and crucified. Matthew was beheaded. Bartholomew was skinned alive and hung on a cross. James the Lesser was thrown off the top of the temple and then beaten with clubs because he survived the fall. Simon the Zealot was crucified. Judas Thaddeus, Judas the Lesser rather, was beaten to death. Matthew was stoned to death while hanging on the cross. Peter was crucified upside down by his request. Uh, John survived his execution and when a, a cauldron of boiling water did not kill him, he was exiled to the island of Patmos. See, when Jesus told his guys, hey, behold, I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves, he meant it. And here's the bottom line. Whenever a government believes that they are the final authority in all things, when they believe that they are the arbiters of what is right and what is wrong, what is true, what is false, when every time a government believes that they are God, they, like ferocious wolves, will attack those who will not bend their knee to anyone but Jesus Christ and his word. Get it? We see this in the book of Acts. We see it in church history. We see it in our world today. Just a few examples. Crazy stuff. New York Post, May 28, 2023. A two-year-old, how old? North Korean, was sentenced to life in prison after officials found a Bible in the toddler's parents' possession as the totalitarian regime continued to execute and torture religious worshipers. As many as 70,000 Christians are in prison in North Korea. People caught with a copy of the Bible in North Korea face the death penalty, while their families, including children, are sentenced to life in prison. Perhaps you remember this from eight years ago. These guys kneeling on, on the beach when Libya fell and the Islamic take, took over, these 29, 21 Coptic Christians met their knee only to Jesus. They make these guys kneel on the beach and they videoed as they cut off their heads. In May of this year, six Libyans are facing a death penalty because they decided to leave the Muslim faith and become Christians. Here, here's, a, here's, a, here's a map of the... the the, the worst places to live to be a Christian. Now, our country was born, as you know, in 1776, founded on Christian values, and with leaders, though not perfect, had a high view on this book, right? Had a high view on this book, biblical teaching. And not so much today. I mean, we've been blessed, right, to live in a country like this? I mean, sometimes I hear, I hear people when they're thinking about end times, they'll go like, oh, the tribulation's coming. It's already here. What do you mean it's coming? It's not in America, but, 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 but tell those people in India. Tell those guys on the beach, hey, guys, I want you to know the tribulation, it's already here for a lot of people. We just have been blessed not to experience it. Why them and not us? We are so blessed 
beyond measure to be able to worship freely. But will that always be that way? There's no guarantees. Sorry, it gets worse. <laughs> hey, here we go. Wolf number three, family members. That's a tough one. I'm sure you heard about family members, right? People come to faith and losing their family. Jesus says, brother will betray brother to death, and a father is child. Children rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by everyone because of me, because of my name, because of my word. Later on, we'll see as we dig into this chapter, later weeks to come, he says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. He doesn't mean literally. He's saying, hey, when I come, I cause people to make a decision. I create a dividing point to people who follow me, people who don't. I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's a pretty easy one to turn, right? <laughs> hey, we got, I'm kidding. <laughs> Comic relief, right? We need it. <laughs> Grab it where you can. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. I was talking to my older son this week, John, and about a guy he named named Russell. Um, he lives in New York now, but John reached out to him. He sent me this note. I was born in 1977 and raised in a Muslim family in Bangladesh. Bangladesh is very densely populated. It is. <laughs> Been there. The majority are Sunni Muslims. 2001, Jesus came to my life through my mom. She used to read the Bible, the New Testament in our language during her bedtime, especially when she became sick and suffered from Addison's disease. One day she gave me a Bible and I grabbed the book and started to read the four Gospels. They touched my heart and I had a desire to know more about Jesus. I began to read more of the Bible and doing some research in both the Bible and the Quran. The Bible unfolded before me and Jesus came to my life as a divine light. One very special night while I was praying, God spoke to my heart and I discovered from the word as I, that I was kind of like Nicodemus and Thomas and Philip. Even though I knew that Jesus is the light of the world, I was rejecting him, fearing being persecuted and losing my family. I was dealing with shame and guilt, and I needed assurance about what I was thinking was right. The word answered me, and from John 3 and 14, God welcomed me into his family. I've experienced persecution, physically tortured, mocked by friends and family, and attacked a couple times by radical Muslims. He goes on to say that his brothers tried to kill him several times in order from his dad. His younger nephews, while he was staying in the house with them, said, when you're sleeping tonight, I am going to slit your throat. He says that he has to forgive them each day, and he does it by meditating on Christ's crucifixion, by going over each wound. He says, this helps me release them and forgive. Jesus says, behold, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, among people who believe differently, uh, uh, among a government that thinks they're God, <laughs> among family members who will hate you, hurt you, lie about you, arrest you, betray you, and even kill you because of my name. Okay, we're about done. And you're saying, Whoa! <laughs> What a day to visit this church. <laughs> I'd like to tell you it get better, but I'm not sure. But, but 
a question I think for us this morning, since we're not in this kind of intense persecution, is what would we be prepared to pay if we were? You know, I look at my life and I like to think that, you know what, if that ever happened, I would pay whatever cost for his name. I like to think that. But I really began to wrestle and I'm still wrestling with it because I want to be honest, you know, sometimes how we can deceive ourselves and think, convince ourselves that we're better than we really are. And then I thought about something I heard a guy say before. He said something like this. It's going to be tough. If we won't submit today to the parts of God's word that we know right now, things that cost us very little, how can we say that we would submit when our very lives are literally on the line? Like, if we won't commit 10% of our resources as God commands us to do, what in God's name makes us think we're going to give it all when that moment comes? If we won't confront immorality of our society today with God's word, what makes us think we're going to stand up in front of people that can literally take our lives? If we can't seriously commit to his church, giving, serving, attending, and engaging when things are easy, do you think we'll really be committed to the church when they're burning it down and killing our fellow believers? And so I wrestled with this. It was convicting for me. It still is. Because it's all just talk if I'm not doing it right now. Like if I can't handle the easy battles, there's no way I can handle the hard battles. What about you? Now we love the idea of Jesus leaving heaven on the greatest mission journey ever. How he left the glory of heaven, how he left the praise of angels, the presence of his father, what was born in this world to save us from our sins by dying on the cross. I mean, talk about someone who went out among the wolves. I mean, you remember in the garden, right? God, if it's possible, take this cup from me. He's talking about the cup of God's wrath that Isaiah talks about, the cup of God's wrath. The God says, I'm going to make these nations, rebellious nations, drink this cup, and they're going to stagger like drunken men. They're going to fall, and they're going to die. And Jesus said, hey, God, you really want me to drink the cup of wrath for all people? I mean, he's literally sweating blood. I mean, it's so intense that his blood vessels are bursting and coming out of his pores. Yeah, that very moment, he says, not my will, but yours. Listen, Jesus does not call us to anything that he's not already done or won't do for us. Amen? And so he's telling his followers, hey, hey, this is what it means, guys. He's telling us this morning, hey, this is what it means. So will you be my witnesses? Will you be my missionaries? Will you go out like sheep among the wolves? Clinging tightly to your shepherd. Hey, I'm the one who sent you until I take you home. And that's what we can expect. And I get it. Believe me, I get it. This is heavy, heavy stuff. But it's true. It's true. And I say, let's not just audit it. 
Let's do the best to help us live it. And next week, <laughs> butters and rainbows <laughs> and puppies. No. <laughs> next week, we're going to, in the same text, you say, hey, hey, here's how I want you to respond. Okay? And, and we're going to, like, be wise as serpents. What does that really mean? Not quite sure I'm getting it, right? Okay? Uh, be wise as serpents. Be innocent as doves. Be a witness. Be not anxious. Be on the move. Be confident. Be like Jesus. Like it's, I'm not making any of this up. Be fearless. Be bold. And be committed. And as you guys stand, I'm going to read the scripture as we prepare for communion from the Sermon on the Mount. As a way of encouragement. <laughs> Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted, not because you're an idiot, not because you're obnoxious to non-believers, not because you're sinning yourself. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. Now we're going to take communion after the song, and uh, the song is about telling God, hey God, I'm available. Who, who do you want me to share your love with? Um, we have communion at the, at, at the various stations, and we'll, you grab it and we'll take it together. Father, we love you. And Jesus, you, you say some hard stuff. And maybe stuff we'd rather avoid, but in avoiding it, Lord, we lose sight of the passion and urgency of our mission. And God, day, I, I pray we leave here today, Lord, excited to be sheep with the great shepherd. And God, give us the courage we need. Give us eyes to see those in this world who need you. And thank you for the sacrifice of your son who paid it all that we might live. In Jesus' name, amen.